Our scripture is one of the benedictions of the, of the uh, Word of God. It's actually just a few verses earlier than the one we had last week, and it encompasses, of course, obviously, the same context passage. So I want to read a little bit more than what's in your bulletin. We begin there in verse 5, but I'm going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 15. So listen now to the context and the preface to that particular passage. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage is about reconciliation, living together, loving together, reading and studying the scriptures together, enduring hardship together, bearing one another's burdens, loving one another, tenderheartedly forgiving one another. That's what this passage is about. In fact, the key of it is found there in the verse that we first read there, verse 5, it says, May the God of endurance, and that's that important word that we've had whole sermons on back in times past. It's the word that is hupe uh, monos. It means patience, persistence, endurance, not giving up, sticking through it, it holding on, holding fast. Living the Christian life is all about that. And then also it says the comfort. That's that word you're very familiar with. It's the word paraclete. It means the one called alongside to render aid. It means giving aid, comfort, to strengthen, to build up, to, to hold up, to intercede for, to advocate for. And God is that kind of God. God the Holy Spirit causes us and enables us to endure, to undergo Literally is what the word means. It means to bear under a burden. It's not easy. It's not easy work holding something up. You can hold a heavy load up, but not for very long. You can hold a lighter load up for longer, but either one of them will exhaust you. And we need the power of the Spirit of God, the God of endurance, and the God of of encouragement or comfort. The God who comes alongside by His Spirit and renders aid to our soul, enabling us to do so much. But the key there in that particular verse, verse 5, is may God grant you to live in such harmony with one another 
in accord with Christ Jesus. The words, you can look down in your bulletin there if you don't have your scripture in front of you, and you can see, may God grant you to live in, with, in such harmony. The words to live in are not in the text, not in the Greek text. Literally what that says is, may God grant you to harmonize. To harmonize. One hits the pitch, the other one doesn't hit the same pitch. That's unison. Harmony is there's someone else out there that's going to hit a different note, but it's going to be concordant, not discordant. It's going to be a harmony note. Someone else is going to hit another note. It's not going to be the same note as the first two, a third note but it's going to be a harmony note. And that's what living with one another is all about. Too often we want each other to hit the same note. Everybody match my pitch. Everybody sing what I'm singing. Everybody sound like me. And that's not the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. There'll be different pitches. There'll be different tones. There'll be different voices but it will be in harmony. So that when a harmony is sung, it sounds like one voice. There's a sound to each member of a major chord, for example. You have your root, your fundamental, your one, but then your third, and then your fifth. And it depends on whether it's major or minor of what you do with just one of those. If you Flat that third, it's a minor chord. But if you keep it at the two-step interval, it's a major chord. So you'll hear a slight deviation, and you can hear the difference. It's all the difference in the world. It's only a half of a, of a step off on one of the three chords, but it's the difference between major and minor. And you mix the major chords with the minor chords, and you stack a minor chord on top of a major chord, and now you're talking music. Now you're into sevenths and ninths and thirteenths and all kinds of beautiful things. And you slightly change one tone like you sharp the fifth a little bit, give it one little half step sharp and you've got an augmented chord and it's discordant and it drives you, you've got to go somewhere and you, and you resolve it with moving one of those notes up. A half step, one up an entire half step, and you leave the other one alone. It stays on the same note, and you resolved it. That's harmony. I hope that's harmony. Am I close, Nathan? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> that's what the Lord wants us to be in His church. He wants us to harmonize so that when they hear the sound, it'll be what it says in the next verse, that together, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you hear a good harmony chord, it has its own unique sound and it's placed in that piece of music and the chords change and they resolve in, into one another and they anticipate one another and they bring you along and it's just one beautiful stream of music. 
It's chords all the way. It's harmony all the way. It's, it, it becomes one voice. It's beautiful. We hear it in our choir all the time. We hear it in our instruments, in our congregational singing. That's the way the Lord wants us to live together as his church, as his people. This is really a passage about racial reconciliation. It's not all one color, but it is a harmony that should be one voice. There's a theme all through the book of Romans, and, and now that I've seen it, I can't help but see it everywhere. I see it more and more in more passages throughout from the very beginning. There's a, there's a theme in the book of Romans that's always talking about the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews and all that they have, they have the scriptures and the priesthood and the temple and God's call upon their, their nation in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have the prophets. They have the Psalms. They had all of the wonderful things that God had revealed him to. God had focused his entire revelation in a special way into the nation of Israel. Theirs were the oracles of God. We knew, know God by knowing his word. As we saw last week that Japheth and all the peoples of the earth come to God through the tents of Shem. And there's where there's the harmony. There's where there is to be the reconciliation. Then there are the heathen, the other peoples. God's intention, as we saw last week, all along from the very beginning was to make one people, one nation, Jews and Greeks, his chosen people. And God sent them the Messiah, the Savior of the world, of all peoples, in order that he might come. And the way people come to the true God, the creator God, is through his son, the Messiah of Israel. They come to him just like Abraham did, in faith believing. Come just like David did, in repentance of sins. Come to the Lord through Israel. And the, nat the natural walls and the prejudices and the biases and the disparaging misunderstandings and the conflicts that arose through the centuries between God's people and all the other nations were difficulties that had to be dealt with. And the burden of the New Testament gospel is to show that in Christ, in the Jewish Messiah, in the Savior of the world, there is that reconciliation. And in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ, there's one people living in harmony, one voice, different pitches, but all harmonizing. And that's the way the Lord wants his church to be. And the way of reconciliation between the races of people or the families of people and 
The New Testament word is very informative. We've sort of revived it in our own language. It's the word ethnane, which means the ethnic groups. And we think of things as ethnic. Everything's ethnic. <laughs> if you're a human being, you're ethnic. You may be Scotsman or Irish or English or some Mideastern Asian, or African, South American, but it's all ethnic. And in Christ, all the peoples, all the ethnos, the ethnic groups are reconciled into one people. Because at the foot of the cross, the ground is absolutely level. There is but one race, and it's the human race. And it's a fallen race. And that fallen race, fallen in sin and hatred and rebellions and murders and lies and conflicts and all kinds of prejudices and all kinds of superiorities and all kinds of battles between and among the races is erased when you realize that only a new Adam can shed his blood for a human being such that they become of one blood in Christ. That's where racial reconciliation is going to be, brothers and sisters. It's not going to happen in, in the body politic. I can tell you that now. I've watched enough of it over my lifetime. I can tell you right now, you're not going to be able to legislate it. I don't care how many civil rights acts you pass. I can tell you right now, you're not going to solve it on the streets. I don't care how many militia and Antifa groups you put together. You're not going to solve it in the courthouse. It's not going to be solved with reparations. It's not going to be solved with anything superficial and political. It's not going to be solved with anything man-made and man-conceived and man-contrived. It's going to be solved and it's going to be settled with one way and one way only. And that's Christ and the common salvation that we have in Him. When someone is genuinely converted and genuinely comes to Christ, he has to learn some hard lessons. And in chapter 13, 14, and even further in Romans Paul is hammering it out. <laughs> He's talking about some people that are weak and some people that are strong. And he says in the first, he said, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the fallings and of those, the failings of those that are weak. So figure it out. Are you strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Do you have an understanding of the gospel? Do you have the spirit of God living within you? Do you have the capacity to think through and overcome and to be one of the strong people that can help the failing of the weak? Or are you one of those people that's still harboring all the prejudices and all the biases and the hatred and the resentments on any side of the, the group? Black, white, brown matters not. Are you one of the strong? Have you become strong in faith, strong in love, strong in mercy and compassion, strong in real biblical justice, and not some contrived notion of social justice. 
But real godly biblical justice as taught by Moses and Isaiah and the Psalms and Amos and Paul and Jesus most of all. Are you strong in those things? Then if you are, you have an obligation. You're under, it's the same word, you're under debt. Paul says, I'm debtor to the Jew and to the Greek. You're under an obligation to start working on it, to help the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's going to cause some, some sacrifice. And here it is, he says, for let us not please, each of us please his neighbor for good. So let us please his neighbor for good to build him up. This is part of the edification in the body of Christ. This is where this reconciliation must start. You want justice and judgment? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And we have an obligation as God's people to be strong in the Lord and begin to work with those that are weak in their failings. And we are not to please ourselves. It's not what's comfortable for us. It's not what we think it ought to be, but it is according to God. And the, the example that's given for us is pulled out of Psalm 69, verse 9, where the psalmist talks about the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We're going to have to learn to bear the reproach of God himself. You know, God's testimonies and commandments and God's standards are out of vogue in our society now. If they ever were in vogue, I don't know, but they're out now. What God says about man, creation, sexuality, racial relations, economy, government, labor, money, all of those notions that God has given us of how we're to construct our lives are, are coming under some kind of reproach. And God's people have to be like Jesus. We have to bear the reproach. We have to be willing to be looked upon as being just a little bit out of date or being a little bit um, politically incorrect, perhaps. And I mean, we're talking a tough, tough work on ourselves so the Lord can use us, and it's all for a reason. It's, it's, the reason is, is to, this brings glory to God. It's said over and over here in verse 6 that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's the summation. This is the summation of my message. Verse 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Has Christ shown you love? Show love. Has Christ shown you mercy? Show mercy. Has Christ shown you long-suffering and forbearance and patience? Show it. Show it to others. This is an enlargement upon the part of the commandment that says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Paul starts working on that in chapter 12 and goes all the way through to the very end of the book, expounding upon how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the reason is, with one voice we might glorify God, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? Well, there are a lot of good reasons, but let me just leave you with one. For the glory of God. Do you think God is honored and glorified if, if His people, the church, the true people of God, bring about reconciliation 
across a large number of fronts. And when God's people are together and working together and living together, it's a beautiful sound of harmony. It's a beautiful sound of one voice. It's a chord that we strike that raises glory to God like no chord you will ever hear on this big old pipe organ. It's a beautiful thing for the brothers to dwell together in unity.